Well, hey, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 3 is where we're going to be briefly this morning. And, uh, man, this is an exciting day in the life of the Parks Church, and that will kind of unfold uh, for us as we uh, go through this service. So I'm going to tell you this. My, my teaching is going to be very abbreviated this morning, and this is the, the end of our Whole Life Discipleship Series, week five. Uh, if you're new with us, typically what we do is we preach through books of the Bible, which I'll be, be back in the book of Acts next week. Um, but today, uh, we have been praying so long for, for this day, and it's going to be pivotal and foundational in the life of our church. We'll do something we've never done before uh, in, in, in commissioning uh, folks, and so this is going to be really good. But before we do that, I wanted to lay the foundation and kind of set the, the primer for even doing something like that, a commissioning service, because some of you are familiar with that, some of you are not, and we'll, we'll help you through that. But I wanted to lay the foundation uh, by, by finishing Whole Life Discipleship by talking about our sphere of work, work. Um, and so I'll kind of use that term back and forth, meaning work, meaning what you do, and also the place that you go. So just to kind of cut down on some confusion there. But I want to read Titus 3, and I wanted to tell you about the topic of work first to see if you even view what I read in Titus 3, verses 1 through 8, through the lens of work, your career, where you are going to spend, uh, experts say, for most of us, about 80,000 hours, okay, or one-third of our life. So let's look at that. Titus 3, 1 through 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hate hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, praise be to God, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Okay, so here's what I want to do. I'm not going to typically, like I would typically unpack that verse by verse. I want to key in on a couple things that were repeated and mentioned in that. The phrase good works. When you hear good works, what do you think about? Just, just kind of think about that. When you think of righteousness, right? Most of us, probably what happens is we, maybe good works, we think of uh, charitable endeavors, nonprofit activities, ministries of the church, right? Which all, all of those are, are true and right. But what happens if God has a bigger vision for works, and dare I say good works, than potentially we ascribe to him? I am convinced that the word of God has the biggest vision for work, the greatest vision for work. And of course, because it comes from God, it's of course, what? Good. You see, many people ascribe work or what we do as a result of the fall. And some of you know this, but it's good for us to be reminded that work actually is introduced by God in Genesis chapter 2, right? Where does the fall happen? Genesis chapter 3. 
So let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, as God speaks about work. He says this, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? To work it, right? To keep it. You see, we were created, men and women, to be stewards of God's creation through our work. Men and women were created by God to cultivate, to keep, to prepare God's work. To be participants through our work. Not a result of the fall, but a gift of grace by God to us. It's interesting that the Lord, in describing, describing work, describing even his creation, right? What, is, what does Genesis say when God created things? He, said, he says that this is good. He created something and he said, what? This is good. This is good. This is good. There is a difference between God creating something and calling it good and God creating something and calling it perfect. The reality that God, when he created something and called it good, means that God created it through his raw material, laid the raw material before men and women like you and me and said, this is good. However, I've given you the gift to cultivate it, to steward it. Now, listen, there's a difference, right? If God said, hey, I created everything and it's perfect, what would our response be? Just like maintain it, right? Like the difference between like a gardener and a park ranger is what I've heard it described as, right? Or, or the difference between, maybe some of you will get this analogy better, the difference between a security guard and a broker, right? If you give someone $10,000, right? If you give a security guard $10,000, you're hoping what happens when you come back to them, right? That they hand you, they've kept that $10,000 secure and they give it back to you as $10,000, right? Not four, not five, not three, right? But a broker, what happens? You give them that $10,000 to what? Cultivate to invest, to grow, to shape, right? That when you come back, hopefully it's more than $10,000. Now, here's the reality. God has not left us, right? God didn't just go, hey, you do it, right? No, it's a gift. We're participating with him. He gives us the raw materials. Now, again, back to the idea, the question of good work. I still think we have a, have a little bit of trouble connecting what we do from eight to five, let's just say that, to what takes place here in this gathering. Some of you, I'm convinced, are actually really bored or there's a mild sense of frustration that you feel because it's very difficult to connect what happens here on Sunday morning to your eight to five. Like, how does this really interface with that? How does this really impact what I do? Is it really kingdom work? Does God really care about that? Or does God just care that I make money, I give it back to the church, that they accomplish the good work? That I, that, I, that I invest in missionaries. All of those things are good and right and obedient, but listen to me. Jesus, even in his teachings, the majority of parables, do you know where the majority of parables that Jesus talks about take place? In the workplace. We're in the book of Acts, okay? There are 40 miracles in the, the book of Acts. 39 of them happen outside of the church. You know what that tells me? That God is deeply concerned with displaying his power outside of the walls of the church. He's just as interested as displaying his power in your work as much as he is here in our midst in this place. So here's the question. How do we use these hours? 80,000 hours. How do you use tomorrow morning for the glory of God? How do you see that as God's good work in and through you. You see, one of the mistakes we have made in we, I, us, 
professional church workers, full-time church workers need to own this here in the West, is that the emphasis has become on the giftings and abilities of the few and not on the giftings and the abilities of many, of all. The releasing, the equipping, the empowering of the many to advance the gospel in the world, right? The last song we just sang there, light a fire in me so that all may know, so that every nation might bow. Does that mean that we should all be seeking and praying and asking God, should we all be pastors and missionaries? No, we should have a bigger perspective of what God wants and how he has orchestrated through the pages of scripture going, my call is on every person. And I say the West because the reality is nation, globally, excuse me, globally, the gospel is spreading on the wings of workers, of teachers, of homemakers, of business leaders, of factory workers, farmers, plumbers, lawyers, policemen, etc. Not on the backs of mega churches and gifted communicators. The gospel is spreading because everyone understands their call. Mark Green, and we've used this quote before, he says, this is the current missional strategy of the evangelical church in the West. Look at this, and I hope we'll keep using this. To recruit the people of God, to use some of their leisure time to join the mission initiatives of church-paid workers. That's the strategy of the church in the West. That's the American church. If we could just rally people enough to use the free time that they have in their margins to accomplish the mission that we as church workers give you. That's not God's strategy or plan at all. That's not how he's going to reach the nations at all. It's going to be all of us understanding what work actually is. Tim Keller has probably thought on, on this at least as much as anybody I have read. He wrote a book called Every Good Endeavor. And I just pick you, uh, challenge you to pick that book up. He defines work like this. Work, your work, my work. It's rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain to draw out its potential for the flourishing of everyone. Think about that. Now, that, 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 that definition is absolutely loaded, and we can't unpack it all. But even thinking about what we just read in Titus 3, the way Christians are to operate, the way Christians are to look, the way Christians are to work, what we are working toward, do you think about your work like this? Rearranging the raw materials, whatever domain, whatever location, whatever space. And listen, if you're here and you're in school, if you're a high schooler, you're a middle schooler, you're in elementary school, replace work with school. That's where God has placed you, right? This is the raw materials he's laid before you, education. And what we are called as believers to do is to draw out its potential, to work toward its potential so that we might see flourishing in all the Christians, no. In who? Everyone. He said, well, well come, come on, Kyle. Genesis, or excuse me, Jeremiah 29. Seek the welfare of the city. Seek the welfare of the space or the place or the workplace or the school that I've placed you. And in its flourishing of everyone, guess what Jeremiah 29 says? You'll find your flourishing as well. So in seeking that flourishing, in working toward the flourishing of all people, you'll actually find your flourishing in good. You'll actually find the definition that God is calling us to, right? The, the very work he's, he's, he's put before us in our hands. And so the first thing I want to say very quickly before we move out of lecture into actual lab is this. The first thing, work is one of the primary places for our embodied witness of Jesus to be on display, 
80,000 hours you're going to spend. 80,000 hours. I'm convinced that that public space and sphere has been far too neglected in the church. Right? Like, it's just been like, well, that's, that's my work life. It's disconnected. It's not connected to the heart of God and what he's calling us to. You are missing one of the greatest spheres of embodied witness to who Jesus Christ is. Now, I, think, I don't think anyone here would argue with that point. However, I think many of you boil that point down to, okay, my embodied witness then is just verbal evangelism. It's just me sharing the gospel, which is absolutely part of it. Well, it's just me kind of sweeping in and, and not saying happy holidays, but Merry Christmas, right? On the tax return, putting the Jesus fish, right? Right? Right by the IRS, right? And so it's just kind of like those subtle things. And to that point, I'm not going to argue or, 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 or knock those things, and I'm not making fun of them. What this looks like, though, is listening to last week's message on culture, Right? And employing those things in those spaces and those spheres that you find yourself. Sam talked a lot about as Christians, we are to create culture. Not just criticize it, not just knock it, but create it. Listen, work is the means by which culture is created. That's the vehicle God has given you and me to create culture. So we're walking through the book of Acts. Right? Acts chapter 1 describes right, God's vocation to all of us right, in cultivating and creating culture. He says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my what? Witnesses. Right? That's not, surely that's not just inside the church. Surely that's not just reserved for preachers right, or missionaries. No, that's a call to all of us. And then what happens in Acts chapter 2? They pray and they seek. Right? Okay. Literally, Peter's first sermon, because they're in the upper room, what happens? The Holy Spirit falls. They begin to speak in other tongues. People begin to notice their language. Peter's first words out of his mouth about that group of people to the group of people who are peering on is this. Hey, they're not drunk. <laughs> right? Like, that always got really, like, it was always humorous to me. Like, he's, he's got to describe that something is happening within them and through them that is foreign to everybody watching except they're speaking a language that I know they don't know. There's a power within them. There, there's a difference within them. Okay, true or untrue? As you go into that domain of work that God has given you, as you go into that sphere and that space and that place, are people observing the Holy Spirit that we just read about in Titus, that we've been reading about in Acts, that is empowering you, that's giving you, giving you the strength to do things that in your flesh you cannot do. Are people observing that? You want to talk about embodying a witness to Jesus Christ, that is what it looks like. That you are full of the Holy Spirit, that he is alive and at work within you, and people peering in notice that. Not just in your verbal words, but also in how you work, in how you treat a coworker, in how you honor and treat a boss. Titus 3, when you read that through the lens of vocation or work, it's really convicting. Right? That you honor your boss, that you honor those who work around you. Exodus 31, I'm not going to go there. But Moses highlights two people in that chapter, the beginning of that chapter. And he says that they're full of the Holy Spirit. And you want to know how he knows that they're full of the Holy Spirit? Just read it. By the excellence of their work, the text says. That, that, that what their hands found to do, they did it excellently. And Moses goes, I can see that the Spirit of God is on them. In that space and in that place. That we use a lot, uh, the, the term a lot around here, common good. 
meaning that we are a group or a community of people who want to be mar- marked by seeking the flourishing or the common good of all people, right? And listen, for us to understand what is good or flourishing in your sphere or in my sphere, guess what? It gets slippery and tricky when we're doing that in, in a vacuum. That is always meant to be done in a community, right? So you'll find different people in different spheres and domains in this place, and you'll submit to them. Or you, 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 you'll find people who have walked ahead of you in, in life or in that workplace, and you'll go, is this, is, my soul is in tension over this. Is this right? Is this good? How do, how do we seek the flourishing in this area, right? Whether it's education or law or, or, or in a, a engineering, whatever it may be, it takes a community. If you are going to be a whole life disciple where your life is lived and your work particularly is lived to the glory of God, we need one another speaking into it. Because I might define good or flourishing for one segment and totally be blind to another. We need each other. Second thing is this, and this is where we'll will land and jump off of. Work is one of the primary places we experience the brokenness of sin. So go back to that definition really quickly. Uh, Back to the definition. There we go. Rearranging the raw materials of a particular domain. This is where sin entered, work. The fact that work has become frustrating, toilsome, the brokenness we feel at work, the brokenness we feel in the sphere or place that we uh, spend one-third of our lives. Hear me. Do you know that God has given you a unique perspective and vantage point to the brokenness of the world by where you sit in that eight to five? And again, I'm just using the eight to five as a general sense or whatever your hands find to do. Listen to me, if you're in education, you have a unique perspective. If you're in law, you have a unique perspective on the brokenness. If you're in finance, if you're in real estate, healthcare, art, tech, oil and gas, home, marketing, etc., go on down the list. In those domains, you have a unique perspective on the brokenness given by God. And most of you, hear me, are actually paid to solve a problem. True or untrue? True, right? From, from right... Being in the lab to find a a cure for cancer to whatever else would be on the opposite side of that, right? All paid to solve a problem. Just for humanity? No, because God has placed you there to have a perspective on brokenness to bring his healing into it. I I heard this, and maybe some of you can correct me, years ago. Do you know the way that they uh, plan and build uh, jails or prisons? Like, how do they know the number of prisons to build? Cells. You know what the, the consultants measure? They the number of illiterate third graders. And then they plan accordingly. Brokenness. You see, as people of God, as workers, as his laborers out in the field, we understand every day when we go into that space and that place, we are showing a different kingdom. Right? As a teacher going into third grade, you go, listen, I'm part of a different kingdom. And in God's kingdom, where my king is king, right? In that kingdom, there is no illiteracy. Right? Every kid is loved. Every kid is cherished. And now what do we feel? We feel this brokenness and this tension. However, God has called us into those spaces and those places, right? To rearrange things to the best of his power alive in us for his glory, so that people might get a sense and see the kingdom of God at work in all spheres of our life. In those places of those mundane moments where you think, surely I'm just doing a spreadsheet, Kyle. Really? Yes. 
You are, for the glory of God. You're doing a spreadsheet. You're solving a problem, right? You're not working for your boss. You're working as unto the Lord. You honor your boss, but ultimately you are not responsible to him or to her. You're responsible before God. And you might have a great boss. Praise God, right? You might have the worst boss, but the work and the treatment is the same. Why? Because what you do matters to God. And how you do it matters to God. It's also a primary place where we experience experience the brokenness of sin, not just externally, but internally. Right? Like work exposes our need for Jesus because work can have two pitfalls, more than that, but two. It can consume us. It can become an idol and an identity and a place of security. Or it can be on the other end. It can just be totally pointless and meaningless. It doesn't matter. I'm just checking in, checking out, and it's just a paycheck. What is the motivation behind what you do? What is the motivation behind your work? Is it money? Is it security? Is it comfort? Maybe for those of you 40 and under, maybe you're going, it's none of those things. It's got to have purpose. There's got to be this emotion behind it. Back to community. We need the community to see right motivation in work. That we might be a community saying, whatever I'm doing, God has sovereignly placed me here and I'm working unto him. Where you are, where God has placed you, whether you're content with it or not content with it, it's an assignment. It's a, it's a sentness that you have in your life. Right now, in this moment, whatever school you're in, Boyd, Dow, Caldwell, doesn't matter. Whatever God's stirring in you, he has placed you there. And the work itself, the projects, the spreadsheets, the flow charts, the team meetings, all have an eternal purpose. That God is deeply concerned about your relationships, your interactions, your tasks, because all of them are part of his kingdom. That your life would be lived in your work, in your space, with the full identity you have as a son or daughter. Do you feel the weight of that in your work? See, we're going to call on stage now Jake and Katie Stuns and the team, the mobilization team. And we're going to be able to pray over a couple that is being sent out from the Parks Church. That the work and the assignment God has given Jake and Katie Stuns that he started long ago in their hearts was to call them to a place, to a country in Southeast Asia of Thailand. And if I had to guess, most of you, when you hear commissioning service, this is exactly what you're thinking of. And that's okay, because we're going to surprise you just here, here in a second. But we also want to take time and show you and express to you how unique this is and how necessary this is in the life of a church like ours. That in the nine-year history, almost 10-year history of our church, this is the first time we're actually sending out a couple overseas. And while there is no priority on profession here at the Parks Church, and I hope you hear me say that even in my teaching, there is something unique about what this couple is taking on. There is something unique that, that is called from us as a community to affirm them and support them. Listen, next Sunday, they're not going to be with us here. After they have been here for years and years and years, sitting here, gathered together, worshiping, serving alongside one another. There's something unique in them that, that, that this going is a is a permanent going in that they're not going to sit by you and me at praxis groups. 
They're not going to volunteer beside us shoulder to shoulder in Little. So they're going to be halfway across the world. We won't be able to hug them and see them. I know their family's here. And they feel that even more unique. And so the two words, and really it's about the only two words I wrote down on this, is that this is like a, a joyful sadness for a community. Like we should feel deep joy that they're being obedient and we're affirming that call in their lives, but there's a sadness because they're peeling off and they're going. And so I wanted them to, along with, with, with the couple who leads our mobilization team and then also the advocacy team with these two, to share um, what God has been orchestrating for years, right? In like five minutes. Um, but what he's been orchestrating for years. And I just pray that some of you would get a vision, like a global vision for what God is doing and what you're doing right now, what you're doing tomorrow morning, what you're doing with your kids at the dinner table. Get that kind of vision and light a fire. We sang it, right? Preemptively, we sang it, that he'd light a fire in our church. He's gonna use this moment and the one that we're gonna have soon. So I'm gonna peel off over here. This is Jake and Katie Stunt, for those of you that don't know. And so I've asked them just to, to share um, their heart and what the Lord has been doing and where you're headed. So just share with us, guys. Yeah. Um, so for the emotions we're currently feeling, that was not very helpful. Um, so uh, just to, to preface, I mean, we're, this is like, this is a, a really big deal for us. It helps us with uh, closure, just I think because this is, it's really hard to leave uh, our family, <laughs> which is right here. Um, but this is also our family, um, and uh, so we're really, really grateful uh, that we get to be sent out by a church that has trained and prepared us um, and loved us so well. Um, so, uh, uh, Katie and I have been married for about six years, um, and uh, over six years ago, God was really working on our heart, um, uh, just in the state of the world, um, and I don't know how much you guys know about this, but um, there, there are over 3 billion people in the world that will be born and die and never get to hear about the best news that's ever uh, come to earth. Um, and uh, that really struck Katie and I's heart um, separately. And then we came together and have been on a really long process of God uh, preparing us and sending us um, ultimately now to Thailand. Um, but Luke 10.2 says that the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Um, and so pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send labors into his harvest. Um, and many people have been praying that prayer, and we, we feel as if uh, we get to be a part of the answer of the prayer that we've been praying for a long time. Um, but uh, on top of that, um, uh, God has called us uh, and the Ellis's into a position at the parks where, uh, you know, there are many people here that feel called uh, to the nations as well and need to be trained and prepared well to go. Um, so we've been doing that for the past couple of years here at the parks until God opened a door for us to go to Thailand, which Katie will explain in a second. Um, but uh, I wanted to share uh, just how God has been moving over this these past six months or so um, as we've been uh, uh, waiting to go. We were supposed to go back in September, um, but COVID hit, borders shut down, um, everything kind of halted. And we went into this limbo season of not knowing literally the next week where we were going to be living it was just like, we can't sign a lease because we don't know when God's going to open the borders again. Um, and through that, uh, a lot of the uncertainty, which we've all been experiencing and feeling, we've, we've seen the Lord move in a way that has prepared us better than anything ever could. Um, and, and so in, 
in the midst of having two, two young boys, a one and a two-year-old, and God taking us um, from our family's houses uh, to uh, houses of uh, Jake and Michelle <laughs> um, all over the place, um, he has taught us that in the midst of suffering and trials, his presence is heavier, mm-hmm. um, his presence is better. Um, we wouldn't have gotten to experience that if we wouldn't have taken away a lot of the discomfort and security that, or the, a lot of the comfort and security that we were experiencing beforehand. Um, and so I wanted to encourage you guys with that because um, there is something unique about what God did over the past six months in our life to prepare us for Thailand um, that couldn't have been done if we were uh, comfortable. Um, and, and his presence was, was what uh, came and, and gave us the, co- the true comfort and security we needed to get through this season. Um, and then uh, there's a, there's a as, as we think about going to Thailand, there's an analogy that uh, we, ha- we heard a few years ago that's really been um, impressed on our hearts. It stayed with us. Um, but it's the analogy of um, a father uh, and a son. Um, and so uh, the way that we heard it was there was a father who's working on the engine of his truck. Um, and his young two-year-old son came up and wanted to help him. Um, and obviously the father knows everything about how to fix an engine, but the two-year-old son has no clue how to do anything. And so he gets up on the ladder and looks over the hood, and he's helping his two-year-old son screw some stuff in. I'm not a car guy, so I have no clue what you do with an engine. Um, but you like he's helping him like screw some stuff in or whatever. Um, and the point was not that the son had anything to add to the mission of the father, but the point was that the father wanted to be with the son. Um, and so in going to Thailand, there was a point in Katie and I's life when we thought that we were going to be the ones taking the gospel to Thailand, um, that we were important, that our identity was tied to whether people came to know Jesus or if churches were planted. Um, but because God has called us to Thailand, we've learned that he's already there. He's always been there. He's been doing a work in Thailand long before he ever called us there. And he said, hey, come and help me, son, daughter, come and help me fix the engine you know, come and work with me. So it's not necessarily about how many people come to know Jesus or how many churches get planted in Thailand. It's more about the fact that God called us into a deeper experience of his presence in Thailand that we wouldn't have gotten to experience if we didn't go. Um, And so I think that there's something that I wanted to encourage with you guys is that as we go, I hope that you will see good works not as something that is to be accomplished under a heavy-handed God. Um, it's something that is an entering into the deeper obedience is a call into a, a deeper experience of God's presence that will change and shape you and bring more joy than you currently are experiencing now. Um, and so Katie's going to now uh, explain what we'll be doing in Thailand. Um, yeah, so Thailand is, uh, is an open country, and so we can go in um, as believers uh, without uh, fear of the government or anything, but um, so they've actually had missionaries coming in and out for almost 200 years, um, but yet there's still less than 1% believers in Thailand, so there's been a team there, and they just started asking questions of like, what's what's going wrong here, um, what's not working, and uh, as they started asking questions, um, they realized that almost all of the ties that were following Jesus came to Jesus through another Thai rather than a foreigner. Um, And so the team that is there now started partnering with a church to train and empower the Thai church to go out and reach their own people through planting churches and sharing the gospel. 
And so since doing that, um, the work has exploded. And so they were all in Bangkok for, I think, six or seven years. And last year, they dispersed into three teams into the north, the central, and the south so they can handle the workload better and um, have joined, have asked us to join the south team. Uh, so that's what we, where we'll be going and what we'll be doing there. So I wanted uh, the Ellis's to share a little bit about the process of mobilization and the heart here for us as a community, because uh, they have been walking so closely together, these two couples. And so why don't you guys just share a little bit about that? Yeah, so there, there was a team of mobilizers, that would be our, our title, mobilization coach, um, out in Lubbock. And that's actually, that's the team that's uh, caused us to be up on this stage. Um, and hearing about the unreached really just pushed us to this place where we had to decide, you know, are we, are we going to do something about this? Um, are we going to, how far are we going to go? How far does God want us to go um, into this? And um, he has called us to go as well, um, but for a season uh, to stay, become mobilizers, help other people listen to the Lord, find their calling find out about the unreached and how, um, and how God's mission to reach his world has a lot more to do um, with, with how he uses us and the intimacy and, and the building of the vehicle, right? And so God is going to do it, and it is his mission, um, but there are so many more people that he wants to include into this, and, and there are ways to do that here now um, because of the way that um, the world is and, and the access that we have to travel. Um, but there are still just a ton of people who have no hope. Um, they have no hope with the message that we know and that we have. Um, and because they have no access, like we, we go, you know, that's why it, it is so worth it that they're going. And I have, I have trouble crying and I've been crying all day. <laughs> um, but it is just, it's so worth it. Mm -hmm. um, and there's, and it's the, the joyful sadness, you know, um, we, we just, we know we have incredible hope that you guys are going to experience more and more joy. And we also know that you guys can access that joy also, um, through work. Um, and that's just going to be huge. Um, Rachel's very good at logistics and so she'll tell you what that actually means. Also I've been crying all morning. Um, these are like some, these are our best friends. Um, sorry. <laughs> yeah, my greatest intimacy with Jesus has been when I've um, said yes to walking with him in the day-to-day -day, um, of engaging a broken and lost world with the hope of Jesus. Um, and God's invited the stunts to do that with him in Southeast Asia. Um, but there are unreached peoples here. Uh, we live in an incredibly diverse an area. Uh, Dallas, the Metroplex, has the fourth largest Muslim population in all of the United States. Um, I was with Afghani refugees yesterday. Um, most of us will probably never go to Afghanistan, but the Lord has brought a significant population of Afghani refugees uh, 20 minutes down the road. They all live in the same area. Um, 
And so you are invited, God's inviting you to walk with him um, in his mission to engage unreached peoples with the gospel. Um, and, and maybe he's inviting you to do that overseas, um, but he's absolutely inviting you to do that here. Um, without question, he's inviting all of us to do it here. Um, and so there's a couple ways practically that mobilization plays out um, here at the parks. It's a long process to be sent, as the stunts are, um, but the beginning stages of that are a couple groups that we do. So one is a nine-month training program called Go Group. That's for people who have decided, I want to live overseas long-term. It's a really intensive process. Um, but on the, the more beginner side of that, uh, we run a 10-week group called Multiply Group. Um, and that's where we learn how do we as a team of believers um, engage the unreached in our area, intentionally take the gospel across cultures, um, and, and express the hope that we have um, in a way that brings a light and hope to a hopeless people. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, we'll start those mid-February. We have an interest meeting next week after services. Um, and so, man, just would you sit before the Lord this week and ask him what he wants to tell you about this? Ask him what he wants, uh, how he wants to invite you into the work here. Uh, because he is, he's inviting you. There's no question. Uh, but would you sit before him and ask him uh, how he's inviting you and what he's inviting you into specifically? That's really good. And I hope even in Rachel's emotion, you see that we're. this is not us just going through the emotions, uh, just emotions, religious activity of sending someone. This is real. The, the, all our lives are intertwined. I wanted uh, Jeff and Heather Simpson to share just about the, the, the role that the church has played even in advocating for a couple like this. So go ahead and share that, Jeff. So um, as we join this process with these guys, um, part of the process is developing these advocacy teams. And it's, uh, there are certain positions that are coming alongside uh, the goers, which in this case is Jake and Katie. And the responsibility of them is to care for them while they're overseas. And this is like long-term care. But it's also long-term care, plus it's like bringing that information back to the church so we can share what's going on with them. But there's awesome specific roles. Well, when we saw this and how it's working with the goers like them, we're like any ministry that we have within the church, we thought it'd be great to create an advocacy team for that organization and the church. And so we're starting that process. They're called A-teams, so we're gonna be, you're going to be hearing more about that. So this is bittersweet for us as well. We've grown to, yeah, we <laughs> talk more about them. I know. So we love you guys. But I think one of the key things is that while Jake and Katie are leaving and they're not going to be worshiping with us on Sunday, they are not leaving the Parks family. And I think that's a very important point. And so we're still called and how we can best serve them as their 24-hour plane trip away is through these A-teams. And so it's going to allow us as a Parks Church, the best analogy I can come up with is be like a ligament that connects two parts of our body that the Holy Spirit knows no boundaries through these A-teams by providing care for them over there and communication and prayer. But the people who would make up these A-teams, it's not a specific person. 
There's all types of giftedness needed to make up A-teams. And so I ask you just to consider, and uh, like Rachel was putting the charge out there about just to pray on this week. Maybe God's inviting you into that piece to be part of the ligament that's going to connect our church to the ministries that we're involved with here locally or internationally. So now um, I want to invite Jake and Katie, take my mask off now, um, to kneel before us as a church, us as a community, um, because part of commissioning is affirming God's call upon their life and the place God has called them to. And we're doing that this morning. We're affirming that God has called this couple through the process explained up here, through his unique voice and calling upon their life, that he has equipped them and called them to the people in Thailand. And we're affirming that, not just as elders and pastors and invite our elders to come up, um, but as a church community. And I want to ask anybody who has ever been in full-time um, missionary or foreign mission work, even, even stateside or full-time ministry, if you would just stand, and there, we might have people, we might not have people, but just stand because I want you to, to join with us uniquely because you know a little bit uniquely what they're walking into. And it might be worth just reaching out a hand to them as they kneel. And I'm going to pray over them. And again, in light of the season that we're in, we're just going to camp around me and I'm going to lay hands on them. Father, we do not take this lightly. Lord, this couple that is kneeling before you, their physical posture is a representative of their heart posture before you, as it has been through each and every season of trial and triumph. God, getting to this place before their faith family, a faith family that is affirming, a faith family that is supporting, pledging our support, our prayers, our resources, to seeing the advance of the gospel in and through this couple and their two boys. Now, Lord, I pray in their going that is so joy-filled, but also such difficulty from us, for those of us who are staying and for them uniquely, I know as well. God, I pray for a peace that truly passes all understanding for their family, for this church family. God, I pray, though, that more than, than a comfort physically, they would sense your peace spiritually that they are confident beyond all measure that you have called them and you have equipped them, whether their days are few over there or their days are many, whether we see them again physically from, or we don't. Lord, we are confident in you. May their confidence be unshakable because it has come from you, because they have heard your voice and they have responded in faith. So Lord, I pray as they land on the ground in Thailand, that there might be a continued revival of your presence and that you might use them in whatever way you see fit. Lord, continue to incline their ears to hear your voice, to not be confused by the things that culture and this world will throw at them, but to have clarity because your spirit is alive and moving. God, I pray for us as a church that we would continue to stand beside them and with them, even separated by seas. Your spirit is not. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to go before them in might and power and grace and humility as we affirm, as we commission, and as we send them out for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. We love you guys. We love you guys. You can clap. Yeah. 
So we need to tell, listen, we want to treat these like a baptism service, all right? So after the hands go off, we give a resounding cheer in championing what is taking place here. Yeah, so. My heart is is full. I, uh, man, I've I've looked forward to uh, and dreaded this day a little bit uh, at the same time since we kind of set it up. We love the stunts. Like they said, they lived with us for six weeks, uh, which is, which was amazing. We got to disciple each other and walk together as families. And um, man, being a missionary is a unique uh, version of being a sent person, of being a sent people. Um, But it is not the only version of being a sent person or a sent people. We are, if you call Jesus Lord, if you live under the narrative of Jesus is Lord, then you are a sent person, which means that we collectively as the Parks Church are a sent people, as Kyle walked through. Uh, the value, we, we've got to reorient how we view value as it relates to what God calls us into, the work that he's given us to do. So I'm going to ask uh, our second group of people uh, to go ahead and make their way to the stage. And as they do that, I just want us to, to recalibrate value. Uh, value in work, the only place value comes from in the workplace is that the Lord has given it to you to do. I want you to think about that for a second. Value being a redeemed, uh, redeemed work, valuable work, kingdom work, that comes from the Lord giving it to you to do. That's where that comes from. The glory it brings the Lord comes from our obedience to that and doing that in, in joy. And so I have a group of people behind me who have, over the last month, two months, uh, been called by the Lord to go into uh, a new vocation, into a new calling, into a new work place. And so we're going to walk through and have them say a little bit about where uh, they're going, what the Lord's called them to, what that journey's looked like for them. Uh, and then we're going to commission them as well uh, into the thing that the Lord has called them into. So I where did you put the Clorox, Cloud? It's a little bit weird. There we go. So, Jeff? Uh, hi, my name is Jeff Wood. Um, my wife told me don't mention insurance because immediately everybody will fall asleep, so I'll, I'll stay away from that. Um, I'm in consulting, and I help um, employers and um, insurance companies deal with and kind of avoid and manage um, the costs associated with large and complex claims. So I recently left one company and went to a new company called Alliant to help um, start their national practice and offer, offer those services nationally. Good morning, Parks family. My name's also Jeff, not that Jeff or that Jeff or one of the many Jeffs here. Uh, but my name is Jeff Estes. This is my wife, Alexia. About two months ago, I transitioned out of financial services, where I've spent the bulk of my career for the last 13 years, both in the public markets and the private markets. So if anyone has questions about GameStop, I have all the answers. Um, But I transitioned to a company called Salesforce, uh, doing tech sales. So really, any company that's looking to transform digitally their sales, service, marketing, really kind of new for me. Uh, But what I love is it wasn't just a me journey in the process. It wasn't a me and my family uh, in, in the process and journey. There's really people here. I'm looking out at people, and I can't see half the people up here because of the lights, uh, but people that were literally praying and fasting with me regularly, weekly, 
uh, pouring wisdom in, in, into me, uh, reminding me of God's goodness, his grace, and that this plan was the best plan. So. We're the Kellogg's. Um, I'm Sam. This is my wife, Malia. And we are <clears throat> expecting our first child in April. Um, <laughs> uh, this is something we've prayed about for a long time, and we're just so excited to embark on this journey and with the support of the Parks Church. When we were meeting, prepping for the service this morning, uh, they said, are you sure that we should be up here? And I said, well, this must be your second child, if, or the first child, if you don't realize how much work being a, a parent is. Hi, I'm Terry Simpson. Um, last summer, the uh, Lord was pulling me in a different direction. I wasn't sure where he was leading me, and I asked wherever he took me. It was for um, where he was going to use me for his glory, using the gifts he's given me. And he did that in a direction I wasn't sure I wanted to go. But since I've been there, he's been blessing me unbelievably, and he put me together with um, talking about missions, the manager of the store I work at as a, a design consultant for Bassett Furniture. She is also a believer, and she has thought of her work as the mission field. She's always been on her own. And my prayer was to partner with someone like that, and now I am partnered with her so that both of us are together as a team and um, seeing difference already. So it's very cool. Thanks, Terry. Terry, Terry brings beauty into the world, into spaces, and this faith family is going to get to enjoy that um, in the new common space. So a lot of the design and how that's set up and aesthetically how that looks uh, comes from the gift that God's given Terry. And so we're so thankful uh, for her role in, in shaping how we as a community will be gathering, where we will be gathering. Um, so before we commission them, I just want to read a part of the high priestly prayer. If you've not read this, it's in John. It's uh, Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross. Um, so before we commission these, let's, let's listen to this. Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And near the end, he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these things only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. So as we prepare to commission these individuals, um, I want you to join me in that. So if you are, uh, if you work in technology or sales, I want you to stand up. If you work in insurances or services of any kind, I want you to stand up. If you are a parent or a stay-at-home parent, I guess that would uh, kind of double qualify, wouldn't it? If you're a parent, stand up. If you work in retail or design of any kind, I want you guys to stand up. Awesome. So this is just a cross-section of our body, but I want you to look around. Sent people. Parks Church. So as we send these folks out into the world, 
into the workplace, into what God's given them to do. If you align with their vocation, I want you to uniquely pray for them this morning, and I want you to be thinking about them this week uh, in your quiet time as they enter into what God's given them to do, just as the stunts are entering into what God's given them to do. So I will lead, I'll lead this, and then we're going to transition into a time of worship to close this, this celebration. Um, but pray with me over these folks. Father, what a, what a gift this morning is. What a gift these people are. What a gift to be called into your work, into your kingdom. We acknowledge you as, as Lord of all this morning um, and are so grateful for these individuals, for these families, uh, for the work that they will do, for their heart. I've gotten to see them prepare for that just as the stunts prepared. These people trained and prayed and fasted. They sought your face. They're coming from a place of presence. They're coming from a place of prayer to honor you in their work, Father. So we pray as a people that you would encourage them, that you would give them strength, that you would give them a vision for the work that you would have them to do, that they would see the value in the work that they do because you've asked them to do it, Father. Thank you so much for inviting us into that. We love you. We thank you for these individuals. We pray that as a people, as the Parks Church, as your church, that we would be a sent people, that we would send overseas, that we would send into the workplace here, that the world would see you because of the work that we do, because of the work that you've invited us into. So we pray for these people. Thank you for this time this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. This, yeah, this is where you do that, right? So no, I'm not going to uh, sing. Uh, stay standing. Um, we're, we're actually just going to close uh, like that because that is a fitting response in worship uh, to, 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 to just send out these folks. And we're going to do this more regularly, and I hope that this is uh, an inspiring time for our body where we see the kingdom of God so much bigger and, and breaking forth. And so, listen, maybe if you were still seated there, um, your vocation is going to get hit because this is going to be ongoing, much like a child dedication, things like that. We want to begin a regular habit of sending people out regardless whether they're a pastor or a missionary or they're working at Starbucks or they're becoming a CEO. It doesn't matter. We want to send them out because the kingdom of God is advancing through his people and his church. Amen?